everyone listening to this has heard the business advice. It's 10 times you know, more expensive to get a new customer than it is to deal with or to keep your existing customers. It's the worst business advice in the world. And the reason it's the worst business uh, advice or comment in the world is because none of those people ever actually tell us, how do I make that customer more valuable, right? Well, step one is you don't leave them out to dry once you've sold them. You stick with them. You build the relationship because every customer, every sale has multiple facets of it. There's the next sale. There's the third sale. There's the fourth sale. There's the referral. There's the testimonial. There's the case study. There's the word of mouth. You know, there's so much value that a customer brings. And yet we're far too often, we're, we're addicted to the thrill of the chase um, and getting them but we're not really focused on how to nurture and keep them and make them more valuable. This is Outside Sales Talk, the best podcast for outside salespeople. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and we're here to chat with the world's top sales experts so that you can get their best sales tactics to level up your game. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I have Noah Fleming with us, and we're going to discuss turning difficult clients into your best customers. Welcome to the show, Noah. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So by way of introduction, Noah is an expert in all areas of customer relations. In under five years, Noah has helped his clients generate over $5 billion in word of mouth business and new revenue from their existing customers. He's also the author of three of the top customer service books, including Dealing with Difficult Customers, how to turn your demanding, dissatisfied, and disagreeable clients into your best customers. And uh, because of, that, because of the, all that expertise in this, that's why we, uh, we wanted to do a show on this and actually didn't, I didn't know any, uh, anyone who, who had expertise in this. And so we, we found the best book on it and, and then brought Noah here uh, on, to, on to discuss it, which is really exciting. You know, one of the, I'm just going to jump right in here. One of the things that we say in the start of the book, and, and by the way, that was my third book. So I wrote that book with a co-author, uh, a fellow by the name of Sean Beltman, who's a wonderful sales expert, colleague of mine. Um, but one of the first things we say in that book is that there, there's actually no such thing as a, as a difficult customer. Uh, I'm going to kind of throw you for a loop here, right? It's, it's more about it's more about the ways that we deal with a customer that has some sort of challenge or problem and how we approach those problems or challenges. Now, I don't buy into the premise that every complaint is a gift and we should hug every customer. Uh, I just don't buy into that. There are some really bad, annoying customers. Uh, but again, there's ways that we can learn to deal with them better and more effectively, uh, which will help us increase our sales and grow our revenue, which is what we want to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I guess, how would you define a difficult customer then? Well, I, I mean, in my first book, Evergreen, I talk about a couple different kinds of customers. Uh, so you have customers that have a legitimate problem, right? There's a legitimate challenge. They're legitimately upset about something. And then you have customers uh, that are just going to complain for whatever reason. Uh, and so in the first book, I referred to these as hungry hippos and problem children. And so these are your two types of difficult customers. Now, uh, I'm just looking at you. I'm going to guess we're kind of in the same age demographic. Uh, but if you remember the game growing up, hungry hippos, uh, oh, yeah. there, was a, there was a game, right? And, and you, smack, you smack the hippos as hard as you can, and they just grab the marbles. And whoever gets the most marbles win. Well, there's a lot of customers out there 
that are like hungry hippos, meaning uh, they just want to keep taking from us. They want another discount. They want a cheaper price. They want, you know, they want a lower price here or there. They want this thrown in. They want that thrown in. These are your hungry hippos. How much more can I take? How much more can I get? And then on the flip side, you've got these problem children. And problem children are exactly like they sound. They're insatiable. They're never happy, regardless of how good you do, how great a product you have, how wonderful your service is. They're just never happy. So they're constantly complaining. So those are the two types that I say, look, you know what, we've got these customers, we're going to have to deal with them in different ways. Uh, but then you have customers, again, like I mentioned, that have a legitimate problem, a legitimate concern, uh, a legitimate service issue that needs to be dealt with. So we can deal with all these customers in, in different ways. And sometimes, uh, this is really hard for some companies to understand, sometimes you have to show them the door. Sometimes customers don't fit the, the profile of your type of company. So just give you a quick example. Uh, I used to work a lot with the hospitality industry. And one time I was there at a meeting with, you know, a number of staff. Uh, and this was a, a restaurant. They owned about half a dozen restaurants and a couple of hotels. And the phone was ringing. And the manager looked at the phone during the staff meeting and said, oh, it's her. And everybody looked at each other and they all knew who they were talking about. Like, <laughs> oh, it's her. <laughs> and so one person said, well, I'm not getting it. And another person said, I'm not getting it. And another person after that said, well, I'm not getting it. Uh, and so it turned out this was, a, this was a problem child, never happy, but very loyal and worth a lot of money to them on an annual basis. Uh, but yet she caused all this, these problems, all this grief, all this commotion that when she came in, uh, it impacted everything else. So even though on paper she was valuable and she drove revenue, you know, she wasn't worth keeping around. And so we had to kind of find a way to tell her, you know what, uh, your approach with our staff, the way that you treat people here, is just not really fitting for us. And so I think we're going to suggest that we part ways. Uh, and they actually did this. And so it made a whole lot of difference, but you know, that's not always possible. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've always struggled with this in, 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 in my past and with, with really tough customers. Do you, if someone's just, cause a lot of people, you know, they just are sociopaths or narcissists <laughs> or have borderline personality disorder, or they're just a nightmare in some way. Right. Like they're yeah. just, they're never going to be they're They're just, and, and and it drags on on your team. Your team hates dealing with them, but sometimes they're worth a bunch of money, right? And and uh, you know, I, I it's tough to know exactly what to do. You know, the I think one of the best things if if they are just a whiner and a pain in the butt, it's best to just give them to someone who can deal with them and be like, you're not allowed to talk to anyone except for this person, <laughs> and, like, and 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 we'll just label them. Um, you know, in the, in our CRM. So when the, when the phone rings, like do not answer, they're a problem. And unless you're, unless they call directly into this person's line, then they'll answer. But, you know, we just, we just firewalled them off and, and a particularly patient and caring, good, good human that, that automatically gets into heaven <laughs> um, is the only person that, because, you know, my, my thought is, you know, this person's a nightmare, but their whole team needs our software has this problem like it's not their fault that their their boss is just kind of a maniac like yeah i think and i think you're right and i think 
there, there are going to be some cases where you're going to need to find a way to deal with them, right? That's the whole point. We're dealing with difficult customers. Uh, so there's a really simple rule that I follow. Uh, any customer that is, you know, rude, racist, vulgar, sexist, uh, whatever it is to any one of your employees, uh, any one of your salespeople, any one of your staff, probably not worth keeping around. Uh, in the end, it's going to cause more harm than it is good. And so, you know, it's going to create negativity in the culture. It's going to cause all these issues. But you're absolutely right. So those, those, right, those other cases, you're going to have to figure out, you know, is this something we can deal with? Or can we, can we put Johnny, who's got a guaranteed ticket into heaven, uh, onto dealing with them? And if we can, then that's the way to go. Uh, in this case, the example I shared before, it just, it, there wasn't a way to do it effectively. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, it was got to let them go. And, and sometimes you got to let go to grow. And we all know this. Mm-hmm. Well, and I've, I've, I've seen, it's been rare that it was, you know, a racist customer or, a, you know, a, you know, saying really rude things or something. Usually it's just kind of, kind of lack of gratitude and demanding and like, just kind of acting like everyone's their servant. What, what, Sometimes the person just needs to be fired, right? There's just no way around it. Sure. You just, you're going to have to fire them. What, what framework or decision-making process should a sales rep, or, or I guess more broadly, this is a company decision. So an organization who's writing the play for all their reps, what, what criteria or framework should they use to determine should this customer be fired or should we just deal with them? Well, so, so again, you using the simplistic framework I just shared, are they rude? Are they vulgar? Are they sexist? Are they racist? Uh, you know, in, in which case that's part of our corporate policy and they're not going to, to stay. Um, you know, the, the framework I think for the rest is, uh, can we deal with this person effectively? And, you know, perhaps it's just a matter of having, having a conversation with the customer. And so the way I approach my business, the way that everyone should approach their own business uh, is to treat relationships exactly like that. It's a relationship, uh, meaning there's some give and there's some take. And, you know, sometimes we have to be willing to have those tough conversations with our customers and our clients and say something like, you know, uh, the way that you've been dealing with our staff just really hasn't gone appreciated around here. Uh, We'd love if you could just, you know, relax a little bit. We're trying our best to serve you. But if there's something really wrong with what we're doing, you know, by all means, let us know. Sometimes you can just have that simple conversation. And like you said, the person may not realize that they're coming off like a total jerk. And so it's, it's just a matter of having the, uh, having the guts to, to have those conversations with your clients uh, to say, you know, look, this, this is a partnership. This is a, you know, a partnership between two professional organizations. Uh, we're peers here. We need to work together uh, so I can help you and you can help me. And again, just being able to have those discussions is really, really useful. Uh, I recommend, again, training your staff and your people to deal with the really hard cases. So having, having a playbook, having a way for them to understand uh, these are our corporate policies. These are the, call, the types of customers we aren't going to tolerate. Um, you know, Amazon fires customers. Amazon will fire a customer for excessive returns. Uh, and these stories have been publicized in the past, right? They will tell a customer, uh, 
you know, you're just not fitting, fitting the profile of our, our right types of customers. Uh, we notice that you're returning these Blu-ray discs every third time you order them. And, you know, we've now suspended your account. These things happen. And so you have to think about your corporate policies. You have to think about what makes sense for your company. Absolutely. Well, and I feel like uh, I love what you're saying about having meaningful conversations with your, with your customers to try to really understand each other or to help them understand your perspective. And, and sometimes I also think that you, when you're in these interactions with a customer who is a constant squeaky wheel, sometimes it's because you don't understand the real problem behind while they're, why they're being so difficult or why they're so dissatisfied. Um, is it, is it, I, I feel like this communication can really get at what is that real problem so that you can actually learn from it and address it. Well, one of the things I learned in my business from my business coach is that, uh, you know, a great business thrives on trusting relationships, kind of like just what I just shared, you know, I trust you, you trust me. Uh, and so if there's a lot of discontent after the sale, there's a good chance that early on in the sale, we've missed a lot of the groundwork. We've missed a lot of building that trust. We've missed a lot of answering the client's objections or dealing with their concerns. Uh, sometimes we rush through to try and get the sale and sometimes we're able to do that. But because we've rushed through and we haven't tackled all of these things early on, then there can be this built up animosity, this built up, you know, uh, distrust, this built, built up is this company really out to help me uh, or are they just trying to take advantage of me? Uh, so that's from the company side. From the other side, you know, the simple question is if, if you're a salesperson and you truly feel like there's something wrong and there's, you truly feel like the client is not happy about something. Again, it comes down to communication. It comes down to being able to say, you know, uh, I sense there's something not right here and I sense you're not happy about that. Uh, you know, can you just tell me what, what it is that's going on? Or the, the best customer uh, service response of all time, in my opinion, is to simply say to the client without being condescending, you know, you seem unhappy here. What can I do that would make you happy? What can I do here that would solve this situation? Uh, if you can say that in a genuine way, uh, then it, you know, it becomes easy to really get to the root of these problems. Yeah. And I, and I think what you're saying is so spot on. It's, it can be the the, at the expectation setting um, portion of the relationship, which often comes from a salesperson, um, you know, that kind of defines what is this relationship supposed to look like? How are we supposed to help one another? Um, and, and then later on, someone that's actually working with the customer, you know, on the deployment team or on the, you know, on the, on the ongoing relationship team, uh, they're, they're left with this disconnect between what the customer is, ex is expecting from, from an organization versus what the, what the organization, what, what service or product they want to deliver or, or are set up to deliver. Um, that, that's that's, the, that's, there can be a disconnect the, uh, there. Well, yeah, and I call that the expectations gap. And I wrote about that in my first book, Evergreen. It's the, it's the distance between you know, what, the com what the customer expects to get and what they actually get. And so we've all heard the phrases, you know, over, over promise and under deliver. It's the wrong way to do it, right? We don't want to over promise and we don't want to under deliver. We want to minimize the gap as much as possible. Uh, so we can still 
provide the customer with the excitement of what they're going to get. We can still, we can still hype up the benefits like we do as good salespeople. We can still talk about those things, but we don't want to go so far overboard that when it comes to delivery time, they go, huh, right? <laughs> this is not what you sold me on. Or, or by the way, even worse, where did that salesperson go that sold me this? Because now <laughs> I'm dealing with, you know, now I'm dealing with uh, Joe Schmo in the delivery team and he knows nothing about what I promised. So there's all these little breakdowns in, in our business processes. Uh, again, to me, it's, it's a loop, right? And I call it the customer loyalty loop. It's, it's understanding that there needs to be a seamless flow. If you're going to pass off a, a closed sale to the delivery team or to the customer experience team, uh, it needs to be very carefully documented of what's been shared, what's been promised. It needs to be a seamless flow. And I think all too often, salesperson gets the sale, gets the commission, and is gone, right? Sayonara, see you later. Uh, I'm on to the next sale. And so it's this addiction to, to let's just continue to get more, 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 more. We've got them. I'm done with that. I'm moving on. And it's a huge mistake, right? It's a huge mistake because there's so much great opportunity in this. Um, you've all heard, everyone listening to this has heard the, the business advice. Uh, it's 10 times you know, more expensive to get a new customer than it is to deal with or to keep your existing customers. I'm sure you've heard some variation of that. Absolutely. Well, it's the worst business advice in the world. And the reason it's the worst business uh, advice or comment in the world is because none of those people ever actually tell us, how do I make that customer more valuable, right? Okay, if it's truly they're worth 10 times more, how do I make them 10 times more valuable? Well, step one is you don't leave them out to dry once you've sold them. You stick with them. You build the relationship because every customer, every sale has multiple facets of it. There's the next sale. There's the third sale. There's the fourth sale. There's the referral. There's the testimonial. There's the case study. There's the word of mouth. You know, there's so much value that a customer brings. And yet we're far too often, we're, we're addicted to the thrill of the chase um, and getting them, but we're not really focused on how to nurture and keep them and make them more valuable. Yeah, what you're what you're saying really resonates with me. We've uh, at our company Badger Maps, we've we that handoff period we've found to be so critical. The handoff from the salesperson to the sales engineer, who's actually going to set someone up and get them in a free trial, and from the sales engineer to the customer success person, who is in charge of their, the success of that customer and the management of that customer and the account management going forward. At a lot of companies, we see that being the same person all the way through, which I think is fairly inefficient because your salespeople end up spending all their time with existing customers because because of the possibly because of the hungry hippo uh, or the problem children problem. Now that you, we have those frameworks, but so I think there's a lot of value in breaking up your your hunters and your farmers. Your hunters being your salespeople, your farmers being the people dealing with your existing customers. Um, but what one thing that we did at Badger, we found that the handoff from sales to um, and as a sales engineer, and then from the sales engineer to the customer success person was one handoff too many. It was you know, too, much, too many touch points in like a crucial time of an organization, uh, you know, in their deployment effectively. And so what we did was we eliminated the sales engineer role and, and the customer success person plays both the sales engineering role and the customer success role. So once a deal, 
moves into the, the, the deployment stage, even though they're not a customer yet, we still have a customer success person running that part. And then that, that person will continue to run the relationship going forward. So we basically eliminated one handoff, which I think that, you know, I, I think you want to think carefully about, you don't want too, too many handoffs or too few handoffs. You don't well, want your, your, you don't want to have your hunters be farmers too, but you also, you know, if you've got five types of hunters and farmers, maybe you want to think about only having three, that sort of thing. And, and if you think about what you did there, this, this is the crux of, of the majority of the work I do with my clients. If you think about what you did there, uh, you built a process. You built a process for the handoff and you treated it like, a, like an important process in your business. So every business listening to this today has some ridiculous process to get reimbursed for their lunch receipt, right? You've got you've to scan the receipt. You've got to take a picture of it. You've got to staple it to this form. You've got to fill it out. You've got to date it. You've got to give it to the CFO. CFO is going to sign off on it. You're going to get a check or whatever it is, however it works. We spend so much time building out these processes in our businesses for these things like filing an expense report. And yet we haven't spent the time to think about the handoff from sales uh, to delivery. And you know, you guys did it and everyone needs to do it. But I'm working with clients and companies every day that haven't even thought about this stuff. It's just like a sales process or a referral process. Uh, you know, referrals and the act of generating referrals should be a process. It shouldn't be something that you just willy-nilly say, well, if we do a great job, uh, then theoretically people will refer us. Uh, okay. That, you know, you can say that, but we know it doesn't happen. People use net promoter score, which is NPS, and they get a bunch of eight, nines, and tens and wonder why they're not getting word of mouth business. Well, the reason why is because, yes, people say they will do something, but unless you treat it like a process and you ask them to do it, they are not going to do it. And so that's a, that's a whole other ball of wax, but, you know, that's my problem with things like that. Uh, we don't treat it like a process. We treat it like something that is just going to miraculously happen. Let's get the sale, you know, let's get them off to delivery. We've done our job. They should refer us. But if you treat all those like a profit center, if you treat all those like an integral part of your business, just like filing an expense receipt, that's where the real magic starts to happen. And that's where you start to see some really great results. And what are these actions that can turn a, gr a great customer into a dissatisfied customer or a critic of your organization or vice versa? What are actions that you'd recommend that tend to turn an unhappy customer into a, a happy customer? So again, some of, some of the things we've talked about, right, is the expectations gap. If you're over-promising and you're under-delivering, uh, that is a great way to, to turn a happy customer into an unhappy customer, whether it's the first sale, the second sale, or the third sale. Uh, the good news is that if you've provided great and valuable experiences to a customer for the first uh, number of sales, they're more likely to brush off a mistake or something else as just some sort of weird anomaly. But with your new customer, you only get one shot to get it right, right? And so the, the thing I always like to say is that uh, any business out there can get the first sale. We can all get the first sale. 
It's the great businesses that get the second, third, and fourth sale. Those are the ones that have truly got it dialed in. Uh, now, how do you take that dissatisfied client and you make them a better client, a more valuable client? Well, the first thing is you do what you say you're going to do, right? And so you follow up when you say you're going to follow up. You reach out regularly. Uh, you get in touch often. And you don't just, again, just disappear into the, into the night. You want to stay close to that client. You want to build those relationships. And again, to beat a dead horse, th this is also a process, right? Retention and loyalty is a process and it should be treated like that. So I have a, I have a program that I roll out with my clients called uh, the pick three process. And the pick three process is, is so ridiculously simple and silly, but it works every time. And the first thing we do is I get a CEO that comes to me and says, you know, well, we, we need better loyalty. We need to increase our retention. We need to increase our word of mouth. And I say to him, okay, well, what are you doing uh, to help facilitate that? Well, my team's doing a great job. You know, they're, they're delivering, they're doing awesome things. I said, no, what are you doing? Well, you know, I, I do this. I try and talk to the customer. I said, no, really, what are you doing? And it turns out they're not doing much. So I give them a list of about 40 tasks. And I tell them every day, you're going to do three of these. You're going to do three things here. And you're going to pick three customers and you're going to do this thing, right? Just pick one thing off the list and do it with three different customers. Tomorrow, I want you to repeat the process. And so I get the very top person in the organization doing this on a daily basis. And suddenly within a week, two weeks, you know, sometimes days, he starts to say, or she starts to say, wow, like this is really resonating with our customers and people are really enjoying this. So then I say, what's your sales manager doing like this? What's your VP of sales doing? Uh, well, you know, I don't know. I say, get them to do this. And so that VP of sales starts doing the exact same thing. And then we roll it out to the next person. And soon we've got everybody engaging in this pick three process. Uh, it's so ridiculously simple, but it works. And clients say things like, wow, nobody's ever done this. Nobody's ever treated me like this. Nobody's ever, you know, given me this sort of uh, service. And, um, you know, these are really simple tasks, but really a powerful process. And I call it the world's easiest and most simplest uh, customer retention process because it's that easy. It's just a matter of doing these things regularly and consistently. Yeah, you know, I, I took a, uh, along these lines, and this was a couple of years ago now. Um, well, it must have been three years ago now. It feels like a lifetime. It just, you know, we're, we're, we're recording right now in October of uh, 2020. So, um, but uh, so it, it, I took a road trip around the country for two months um, back when I was allowed to leave my home <laughs> and, and, uh, and with the goal of just, you know, meeting, you know, three customers a day. And I, and I just kind of kept going to different cities and we, we basically emailed and reached out to all of our customers uh, at our customers, because people ask him, "Hey, do you want to meet with our CEO? He's he's going to be in your town, so um, you know, do you want to schedule time with him?" And uh, and I just drove around the whole country for two months—not quite two months, maybe a month and three quarters—and uh, and and really hit most, not all American cities. I didn't make it to the Pacific Northwest because that was really far away, but you know, the Midwest and the Northeast and the Southeast and the South and the Southwest. And, uh, and I just met with, met with three customers a day and just sat down with them, talked to them about best practices, talked to them, you know, asked them how things were going, kept it pretty open-ended, tried to understand what they wanted in the future out of us better. And, 
And I'm imagining this is the kind of thing I found it to be really valuable, really got me in touch with our customers, really let me, got me inside their heads and let me understand what they were needing so that I could better guide and, and steer the business in a way that they, that they wanted it to be and, and what their based on what their needs were. Is this the type of, the type of, type of actions, these 40 things that you're talking about doing? Uh, what, 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 are you, what are you asking people to do? What are, what are, what are the types of so, things in this list of 40? So first I would ask you, you know, uh, and I think you said it, it was really valuable. So it was worth it, right? This, this endeavor was worth your time and your effort. Um, let me ask you this. Have you ever seen the show Undercover Boss? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I've heard of it. I, I think I saw <laughs> okay, it. So, you, so you know what I'm once. talking about. Yeah, well, yeah. Every, every show is exactly the same. And it's, you know, it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. Uh, and, and the other thing I like to say is, you know, if you're, if you're in a company and you ever see the phone ring and it says undercover boss, uh, you don't want to answer it because this is not a badge of honor, right, to be on this show. This means you're, do, you're doing things really poorly uh, and they've identified you as somebody that, can need, that needs these improvements. Well, Every show is exactly the same, right? The, the CEO sits his boardroom down and says, guys, we got problems out there. You're not going to believe what's going on. Uh, but what I learned was amazing. You know, we, we need to talk to our customers more. We need to help our employees more, right? We need to be providing more to them. And it's so ridiculous. Uh, and so what I get my clients doing is really simple things like that. I want you to pick up the phone and I want you to call three of your newest clients today. Uh, just reach out to them. Tell them you're the CEO of the company and see how they're doing. See how everything's going. Uh, or tomorrow, I want you to, you know, uh, pull out your, your notepad and I want you to write three handwritten notes to your customers and just send those out. Uh, I want you to reach out to three existing customers who have been with you for a long time and see how things are going. Uh, I want you to reach out to your three most valuable customers and see how they're doing. Uh, today, I want you to reach out to three customers that left you for whatever reason, you don't know why, I want you to personally reach out and ask them why they left. Uh, and so I've got a list of 40 things here. And what I tell my clients is, these are not set in stone, right? These were me sitting down one night with a glass of wine and said, here's 40 things that people should be doing. I tell my clients, add to them, scratch out the ones you don't want to do, uh, whatever it is, maybe three is too many. If you've only got a base of 12 clients, you know, you're not going to make, you're not going to do three actions a day every day because you're going to burn through your whole list in a week and you're not just going to keep repeating these things. It might be one a day. It might be one every two weeks, whatever it is, but we need to get habitual about doing these types of things that we're really not doing. And we say we're doing them, but we're really not. Uh, and so, you know, I need to eat my own dog food. Uh, I need to write these things down. I need to put when I'm going to call my clients, when I'm going to reach out, there's, there's so much leaning today on automation, right? Well, I can just set up this, this uh, new AI program that's going to send off a personalized email every three months. Um, customers see through that, right? Customers eventually see through it. They also see through this process that I'm defining. If the actions become rote and generic and lacking of empathy and emotion, they lose all their feeling. And so you got to make sure you, you are able to, to harness that and to build that into it. Uh, because that's, again, I think where true value is built. That's what clients appreciate. That's what uh, turns, you know, an okay customer into somebody that's truly loyal to your company and says, gosh, nobody does things like these guys do. 
Yeah, I think that's a some fantastic advice that almost everyone could do. And uh, our company is too small for me to be an undercover boss. We've only got about <laughs> seventy people. If I if I showed up in one of our offices with a with a fake beard on, everyone everyone would know. <laughs> but you could try it. I could try. I, I did. I did. Sh- I did show up in a Santa outfit once, and and people still recognize me. But you know, it took a second. <laughs> could have been a lot of people under there. <laughs> um. But uh, so what about technology impacts? How has technology impacted these interactions um, with difficult customers? How has it impacted the way they can complain? How has it impacted the way we can react to complaints? Well, from a, from a sales perspective, uh, anybody that's listening to this already knows this, but technology's made things way easier, right? It's made it, made, it's made it way easier for people to complain. Uh, but it's also, from a sales perspective, it's taken away anything uh, that the customer didn't have before. They already know the price. They already know all your competitors. They already know everything you're going to tell them. So one of the best things that we can do uh, to confront that, there, um, there's a great book that was in the sales world many years ago that, that I, I loved and I can't remember the title right now, uh, but the concept was, was brilliant. And he said the most successful thing that you can do in sales, and, and this was written in the 80s, and it's still true to this day, is he said, get all the skeletons out of the closet and make them dance. Uh, you want to dance with those skeletons. You want to bring them out early. You want to address anything that the customer might be thinking, and you want to take it head on. And so if we already know that our customers have all this information, uh, I think the best thing we can do is we can be overly upfront about things. Uh, we can say things like, now, you know, you already know this and I already know this. Uh, you know that we're the most ex- expensive provider out there for this service. And you know there's a dozen competitors just like us. Uh, but let me tell you why or what makes us different, right? Really simple stuff, but addressing all those objections really early uh, is super powerful. And I think it's more powerful today than ever before because we know customers can get any information they want at any time. Absolutely. Um... Yeah, I would say that technology has really impacted the way we're able to interact with our customers. We, uh, we, we've been able to automate, well, I, I guess not automate, but we, we, the, the top hundred questions people would ask us, you know, how do I do this? How does this work? How do you set this up? How do I change that? We've made little videos for all, for every single one of those things. And, uh, and we have a team of people, um, it's about 10, 10 people that their whole job is to answer inbound questions and emails and IMs that are usually all the same, these same hundred questions, right? And so the, they'll, they can answer them very quickly because there's a templated answer for each one of these questions. And like a, there's often like a little video or a, a, a link to a step-by-step, here's how you do it type web page. And uh, that getting really, be, being able to, like if you went on our site right now and said, you know, sent us an IM saying, hey, I'm a customer. Here's my email. Um, I, I don't know how to do this. You'd get an answer in like five minutes being like, here's how you do that. Let us know if you have any, any other questions. And it's really fast and really efficient, but that's taken a lot of pressure off of our customer success team. So I, I call that the customer service team. And then the customer success team, who is more like the type of people who will get on the phone with them and set things up for them, work with them it's freed their time up a lot because they're not dealing with all those smaller questions. 
Yeah, one of the things that uh, we talked about in the book, Dealing with Difficult Customers, is along those lines, you know, I call that process uh, internal script booking. And, and, you know, it's not a traditional script, a list of scripts for salespeople to respond to objections. Uh, it's more exactly what you're saying. It's a script book of the most common uh, concerns, challenges, issues, problems, you know, things that our customers are going to deal with and making sure that everybody has the playbook in front of them to be able to, to answer these things. And so uh, I was working with a, you know, a manufacturing company that had 85 salespeople. And we, we did some simple tests on this just to see how they were responding to very simple service related questions. And what we found was they were all answering it in an entirely different way. And, and sometimes right, sometimes wrong, sometimes, you know, where did you get that answer from? Because that's not even what we do. Uh, but that was the case. And so we had to develop this type of, this type of script book. What I like to do uh, is help my clients build something like that, but make sure it's a living, breathing document, something that's going to be reviewed and looked at regularly. It can be adapted. Uh, it can be updated. You know, we can bring in new concerns. And one of the other things that we do when I'm working with sales teams and we meet regularly, we'll ask a simple question uh, on our biweekly sales calls and we'll say something as simple as, you know, did anybody hear anything really interesting and, and unique from a customer or a prospect over the past uh, month or whatever it has been? And somebody might say, you know, it's, it's really weird, but some client was saying this. And then we'll say, okay, did anybody else hear something similar to this? And all of a sudden we start, yeah, you know what? Uh, it's funny. I had a client say the same thing and somebody else said this. And so we start to look and ask ourselves, does this warrant uh, being added to the script book? Is this something that we need to bring in? Because this seems to be a common concern. Is this something that we now need to address uh, more publicly, whether on our website, like you mentioned, with videos or content? And again, just constantly evolving to try and say, how can we, how can we deal with these customer issues head on? How can we address them before? You know, it's almost like a, a great salesman, a great sales guy, Jay Abraham, uh, once said, uh, I think it was Jay Abraham, might have been Gary Halbert, a uh, famous direct response copywriter. But he said, you know, you want to enter the conversation uh, that your customer is already having in their mind. And so if they can come to your site and they can come to start reading your materials and they're starting to see their, their concerns dealt with right away before they've even asked them. Again, there's real power there. And I, and I think, again, the small things that companies need to be working on uh, with, with some more thought and some more gumption and just really valuable stuff that I think often gets overlooked. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. What, what about when, when a a buyer's expectations aren't being met. I feel like buyers just hate it when a product or a service doesn't meet what they expected it to do out of the gate. Are there any tricks or any, any uh, playbooks or that, that you could see a salesperson applying to better manage their, their customers' expectations? Uh, so, so if we're dealing with it, again, we're t we, we have to think about the two realms here. One, the first realm is, uh, let's be proactive about dealing with this. So all the stuff we talked about before, script books, you know, addressing these challenges, that's the proactive stuff. Now this realm, you're talking about a reactive situation, which is the client's expectations haven't been met. So the two things that I help my clients do and I ask them to do is 
is to look at any service issue really simply and ask yourself, uh, is this concern valid? Valid means, you know, the customer has a legitimate concern. Uh, something was legitimately wrong with their order. They didn't get what they were promised, uh, whatever it may be. Invalid would be, uh, you know, somebody getting everything that they ordered. The product was there on time. Uh, but for some reason, you know, once it's there, it just weren't really happy with what they paid for it, for example. Or, or it's like the example I give is somebody staying in a hotel in Times Square and then complaining the next morning that there was lights on all night and the room was loud and there was people around. Uh, you're in Times Square, right? So this is an invalid uh, customer service issue. And then there's different ways to deal with, bo with both. So if it's valid, uh, you want to address it and you want to deal with it and you want to work with the customer to make them happy. If it's invalid, uh, again, we got to watch that we don't apply that condescending tone, uh, but we want to say, you know, uh, I'm sorry that this wasn't what you expected. Uh, next time, you know, might I suggest a hotel in this area in New York? It might be more up your alley. Uh, or, you know, I'm sorry this wasn't what you expected. Uh, for, you know, for future reference, how could we make it better next time? Or what could we do differently next time? Uh, so, Invalid concerns, we want to address them, uh, but we don't really want to address them, right? So we're not ignoring them or acknowledging the customer. We recognize something's un, uh, made them uneasy, but it's not something we really need to deal with. Valid concerns, we absolutely need to deal with, we need to take care of. And if you're a sales manager trying to help your team better deal with either these valid concerns or even invalid concerns, what, how can a, a, a sales manager encourage their, their salespeople to practice to deal with these difficult customers? Well, the, the, I mean, again, one of the concepts that we talk about in dealing with difficult customers is the lost art of role-playing. And so role-playing is, is such a powerful yet highly awkward thing that not many people like to do. Uh, but it's so extremely powerful. So I urge all my uh, clients that have my VPs of sales that I work with, my sales managers, I urge them all to be role-playing regularly, uh, whether it was you know, a deal that they didn't get for whatever reason. Why don't we walk through the situation and tell me what happened and let's see if we can role-play it. Or if it's preparing for a meeting to pre present a proposal or present an offer, spend the five minutes to walk through. Because what happens is, salespeople get, they believe that the customer is going to say this and they're concerned that the customer might say this. And so if they truly believe that and it's truly a concern, then it really makes sense to spend three to five minutes and actually practice how you're going to respond to it. Uh, and so the, the art of role playing is such a, is such a powerful yet you know, highly underutilized uh, skill and talent that I think we need to be, bring back into most organizations. Even two salespeople sitting across from each other at desks, it, it can be as simple as saying, uh, you know, I'm going to see this client later today and I'm really worried he's gonna bring up uh, this situation we had last time with our delivery and I'm just not sure how I'm gonna address it. You know, could we just do a quick 30 second role play on that? Uh, and your colleague's gonna say, okay, you know, it sounds a little weird, but okay, let's do it. And you just do the exchange and it helps you just formulate uh, your ideas. It formulates you what you're going to say. And so you don't have to be caught off guard. Uh, my business coach, uh, Alan Weiss, you know, he told me that 
anytime I walked into a meeting with a potential buyer of my services, there's only a finite number of things that they can say to me. Uh, you know, whether I present them a proposal with price, they, there's only so many things they can say, which are, uh, it's more money than I was expecting. Uh, you know, uh, this sounds good, Noah, let's move on. Or I just have a couple of questions about this. I should be prepared for all of those. Uh, and so these are the types of things that when I get together with my colleagues, uh, we practice these things. And again, role playing can be so awkward, but it's so powerful. And I just think uh, it's highly underutilized. So how can a sales process or a selling strategy be out of alignment with a buyer's decision-making process in a way that leads to a customer ending up being a difficult customer or a hungry hippo or a problem child down the line? So I already addressed this briefly and I'm just going to repeat it and we can talk about it a little bit more. But again, if we, if we rush a customer through the sale without addressing, uh, you know, their their legitimate deep down concerns or their buyer anxiety, or we haven't spent enough time to actually build trust, uh, because we can, <laughs> sales it, sales can be persuasive, and so we can persuade people to buy. You know, the Robert Cialdini's persuasion book, one of the most famous sales books of all time. Uh, I love what he says at the beginning, right? He says, like, you can use this book uh, in very evil ways. You can persuade people to do things they don't want to do, you know, and promise me you won't do it that way. He says something along those lines. Well, mm -hmm. sales can be persuasive. And the, the problem is, if we persuade somebody to, to buy uh, with all this built up anxiety or, or you know, unsureness, uh, and again, lack of trust, whatever it may be, then we're just setting ourselves up for failure. And so I think we're far better off to, to slow down and even slow down the sale and say, you know, uh, I, I know you're ready to, to move forward here, but I just want to make sure, have we really addressed everything uh, you know, that you're concerned about. Now, salespeople listening to this are probably saying, no, like get the signature, right? Get the sale. That's, you want to close the sale. Uh, you do. But again, like I said, everybody can get the first sale. We want to set ourselves up to get the second, third, or fourth sale. And this is how we set ourselves apart from the competition. Uh, we spend a little bit more time if we have to, to make sure that we've addressed everything that the client's feeling. And again, things are going to come up. There's going to be problems, but the more we can do early, uh, the better we're going to set ourselves up for, for later. So again, it's what can we do proactively instead of having to always act reactively. And what about negotiations? Negotiations are notoriously difficult with difficult customers. What, what are some of your thoughts on navigating these waters successfully? I, I would say, uh, again, from everything that I've learned in my business, uh, and you know, keep in mind, everybody listening to this sells something different. Uh, we all sell different products. We all sell different services. Uh, but it all comes down to trust. And you know, if we're in, and if we're into a late hour negotiation issue, uh, then I've missed something. Uh, for some reason, you don't believe that the product is worth what it costs or the service is worth what it costs, or you want to get it cheaper for whatever reason, uh, or there's something else that we haven't fully addressed. And so again, I, I would treat uh, negotiations as positively as possible. My mentor again taught me that, a that when somebody has a negotiation request, this is a sign of interest, right? They're interested, 
they want to move forward, but there's a few things still that are left unsaid. And so again, just treating it like a trusting relationship, uh, answering what you can, being as honest as possible, dealing with these things, I think you're going to set yourself up for a far uh, better situation. All right. Well, the next section of the show is sales in 60 seconds. So quick questions, quick answer, answers here. So in your opinion, what's the worst type of customer? So the worst type of customer is the wrong one for your business. Okay. It's the one you took the money from, even though you knew that they didn't necessarily need your, your, uh, service or they don't really fit your core values they're not really an ideal fit or an ideal customer for your business that's always the wrong customer what's your best customer retention tip uh, there's nothing more powerful than the human touch uh, in a day and age of automation and technology and all the other great tools for us you still can't beat the power of the human touch and what's the biggest mistake salespeople make when they're dealing with a customer? It's moving on to the next sale too early and leaving that customer uh, out to dry. Is there any book or a tool that you would recommend that our listeners use or, or read to improve customer loyalty? Yeah, I would, I would shamelessly recommend that people listening reach out to me and get a copy of my Pick 3 program. Uh, I don't charge for <laughs> it. It's free. Uh, I, I have a workbook that I give away. And, okay. I, uh, and I allow my clients to go and do this and people that read my material to go and do this process themselves. And, you know, some end up working with me, but I, I give it away. You, go do this. It's the most simple yet highly effective retention and sales and marketing tool that you can, you can use in your organization. I guarantee it. And we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have you, we'll have you uh, yeah, get I can that link from that you and put that in the show notes cool. so that people can access that easily. Um, It'd be great. What key skills do salespeople need to build successful relationships today in general? They need, to, they need to slow down and they need to focus on value and focus on building that trusting relationship. I think the, the shotgun approach works uh, to an extent in certain industries, but it's the ones, again, like everything we've talked about, that can really address those concerns, that can really set themselves apart from the competition that are really going to thrive. And I think if you can just slow down and focus on value, you're going to win. And as an actionable takeaway, what, what should the field salespeople listening today do as a first step to get started on dealing with their dif most difficult customers better? Well, if, if they want to deal with their most difficult and demanding customers better, uh, I think, you know, just getting in touch and seeing where the relationship stands right now. So if it is truly a difficult customer, and there's been problems or challenges in the past, you know, pick up the phone and just reach out to one of them uh, and see if you can start to work through that situation. Uh, you can turn a difficult client into a great customer, into a truly valuable, loyal customer. Just takes a little bit of extra work. And so, you know, start there, pick up the phone, get in touch with somebody and see if you can make some progress. All right. Well, I'm going to attempt to summarize the things that Noah's <laughs> talked to today. Um, a lot of stuff here, but first we talked about how there's many difficult customers out there and, and difficult type, di different types of difficult customers. And Noah categorized those different types in three ways. First, there were the hungry hippos, customers that want to just take and take in the form of discounts, extra services, et cetera. And there's also the problem children, and these are the problem, the difficult customers who keep complaining and are never happy. 
um, the squeaky wheels, et cetera. The last category is the customers who have real problems and actually need your help to find a solution. It's worth firing your, some of your very difficult customers who are creating toxic situations within, within your organization. Um, the, you, can try, you can also try having a conversation with difficult customers to see how you can improve the relationship with them. Focus on the partnership in those cases that you would like to have together and develop an understanding of how both of you can work together as professionals. Say something like, I sense something's wrong here. What can I do to make you happy or to fix this situation or, or to find a solution? Each customer brings much more value than just the first sale. It's a long-term relationship and, and you have to nurture that relationship. It's worth building trust early on in the relationship with a customer. And, and this is a place where we always are, where we frequently make a mistake. So don't rush to take, don't rush to the close as a salesperson, but instead take time to address all of your customers' concerns and, and uh, avoid over-promising and under-delivering to minimize that expectation gap. Make sure that you're, you're, you hand off a sale very well between the salesperson and the customer success team or whoever, whatever account management team will be managing that relationship going forward, those handoffs are extremely important to long-term customer happiness. You can potentially turn an unhappy customer into a great customer by doing exactly what you say you're gonna do, by following up on time, by getting back to them when they need you, and by communicating clearly and honestly with them. When a customer's expectations aren't met, you wanna see how you can address them. Um, they, there are different types of concerns. One, one type is the invalid concern where you can say, you know, say something along the lines of, I'm sorry, how can we make the experience better next time? Whereas if it's a valid concern, you, you need to really fix the situation and make sure it doesn't happen again. Take time role-playing these difficult conversations with difficult customers so that as a sales team or as an individual salesperson even, and that way you can prepare ahead of time so you're not caught off guard in the future. Well, this has really been just a fantastic uh, episode, Noah. Where, where can our listeners read more about your work? How do they reach out to you? How do they get in touch with you? Uh, so they can visit my website, which is noahfleming.com. Uh, there they should shine up, sign up for my Tuesday tidbit newsletter, which is read by about 25,000 uh, senior executives and sales professionals every week. Uh, so every Tuesday I provide, you know, a really tangible, actionable uh, topic or a newsletter that they can actually take action on and do something with. Uh, so they should sign up for that. And then of course they can check out my books, which are available on Amazon or anywhere else books are sold. Uh, there's Evergreen, The Customer Loyalty Loop, and Dealing with Difficult Customers. Excellent. We'll, we'll get all that in the show notes. Um, Noah, it's been fantastic having you on. This has been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If uh, any of our listeners work in field sales, you'll love Badger Maps, the number one route planner that helps you sell 20% more and drive 20% less. And you can always get a free trial of Badger at badgermapping.com. If anyone can think of any other sales reps that would benefit from learning these skills that Noah so kindly shared with us today, uh, you know, spread the love and forward this on to them. Take care until next time, everybody.